0: People keep telling me, Eric, you should stop being so skeptical, blah, 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 you should be positive. And most people are like, yeah, you know, that's, you know, you just have a positive mindset that it's going to happen. But nobody talks a little talks about skepticism that much as a as a motivator. So I think that's super interesting. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to growth everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to tell you about a big online event that I'm throwing on Tuesday, July 28th to August 2nd. It's called the Growth Summit and it includes some of the top minds in digital marketing and sales, such as Neil Patel, Heaton Shah, Brian Balfour from HubSpot, Ollie Gardner from Unbounce, and much, much more. The amount of knowledge that is going to be dropped during this event is priceless. And here's the kicker. It's free. And we're also giving away a free resource called 29 Growth Hacking Wins by Matan Griffel and Growth Everywhere. So go to growtheverywhere.com slash summit. Once again, that's growtheverywhere.com slash summit to register now to lock in your seat and prepare for an incredible event. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips Today we have, I'm I'm going to totally butcher this, Uh, we have Adam Fleshman, is that correct? Yep. All right, Adam Fleshman, who's a self-taught food innovator and entrepreneur who's known for founding Umami Burger, which I love, and also 800 Degrees Pizza, which I also love. Um, He's on Fast Company's list of 100 most creative people in business and National Restaurant News' power list of the 50 most powerful people in food service. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing great as well? Thanks for being on the show. So I guess to kick things off, why don't you tell us about your background and how it led up to, you know, where you are now?
1: Sure. Um, my background is, um, in the liberal arts world. So, um, that's what I studied and came out to LA about 15 years ago and, you know, worked different jobs to try and figure out what I wanted to do. Worked in finance, which I liked. Um, But wasn't passionate about the product um, and then got into the wine business for about five, six years, um, doing wine bars, tasting wine, importing wine, um, selling wine on a retail basis. And really, that's where I got into the whole um, taste and palate sort of study that I'm deeply involved in.
0: Got it. Okay. So the company right now, correct me if I'm wrong, this is Advantage Partners, is that right?
1: Yeah, Advantage is sort of an incubator for new restaurant brands. That's what we're we're running now. Uh, Umami 800, which are already, you know, successful brands are
0: run by their own autonomous sort of management at this point. Got it. Okay. Now, just to get give the audience an idea of the scope and size of Umami Burger and 800 degrees. I mean, how how are those doing in terms of revenues? Um, they're
1: doing good. Um, really at this stage of the game, it's more about growth and about revenues, sort of like a you know, a dot com model, uh tech model. So we have twenty-five locations for mommy with revenues of around fifty million and with eight hundred we have about ten locations and I would say revenues of around twenty million, but we're you know, we're rapidly expanding both those concepts, um, including in Asia and the Middle East with eight hundred. So um, they're in growth mode.
0: Cool, uh, love that. Um, the uh, I think 800 degrees is super interesting because it, it you know reminds me of Chipotle a lot. So can you explain a little bit to the audience what 800 degrees is all about sure. and kind of how you came up with it? Yep. So obviously
1: we saw Chipotle, we saw Subway before that, where it's you walk down a line and, and create your own meal, which people really like. Uh, the problem with that is in the execution. You know, people weren't thrilled about the food at Subway, and uh, they wanted something unique and. What we came up with was, in Italy, they cooked uh, pizzas in wood-burning ovens, Neapolitan style, which didn't exist in LA when we started it. By the way, so we were the really the first ones to kind of revive that uh, style. But we also noticed that you could cook a pizza in 90 seconds at 800 degrees. So, what's to keep it from being from fitting into that sort of subway and Chipotle model where things happen, you know, in 90 seconds while you're waiting for them to make your burrito or your your sub? We just subbed in. You know, really high-quality wood-burning pizza that's completely made by hand from scratch. Which, if you guys know Subway and Chipotle, they're not—they're not making anything by hand there. And uh, and that was really the the basis of it. And the first one was in Westwood near UCLA, and it really hit a uh, chord with the office crowd, which is really across the street, all the big office towers, as well as the students at UCLA, as well as people just looking for a deal because. Uh, You know, at six or seven bucks a pizza, it was a runaway hit and remains, you know, that to this day.
0: Yeah, I I think from a customer's perspective, I mean, you know, when you go up there, it's super quick. I mean, first of all, like, you know, you go straight down the line like you would. I think it would even be faster than Chipotle, in in my opinion. But um, the ingredients itself, I mean, super high quality, and I think it really tops everything else. So I think, I mean… This kind of leads to my next question. You know, when I look at umami burger and I look at 800 degrees, I think, you know, really high quality food. Um, what do you think is the primary, what do you think was the primary growth driver for, for these businesses?
1: Uh, a confluence of several factors. One being, um, the economy kind of shifting towards, um, you know, the fast casual price point. So that was one of them. Uh, people wanting to eat out more, and thus have a, a better quality experience at a lower price. Um, people's need for you know, speed was one of the drivers and also um, the food culture uh, expanding and getting more, more uh, demanding in terms of the types of ingredients they want. Um, the stuff we use at 800 Umami are the same ingredients you get at fine dining restaurants just remade into casual food.
0: Got it. Okay. Cool. Now, I mean, you know, there's, there's a heavy tech focus on, on this podcast. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, looking at the restaurant industry, and I'm not sure how this is changing, but how, how has technology really helped change the restaurant industry? And kind of how have, how have you guys utilized that for your restaurants?
1: Uh, mobile has changed it. Um, people's accessing your restaurants that way. Um, Yelp with the feedback loop has changed it. And I think it's still a lot of the technological change is just starting and still happening in restaurants. And I think you're going to see a lot more apps and caviar and things like that and, um, cover and, and different types of ordering and payment apps, similar to Uber becoming big. And I think you're going to see a lot more changes where the restaurant is sort of creating an interactive dialogue with you and talking to you about what you want and remembering your preferences and catering to you in a way that's, um, you know, hasn't been done before. So I think that's where everything is going towards uh, tech. But at the same time, you can't be in a tech company and try and start a restaurant, you know, you have to really know food and you have to know taste and flavor. So the ones that are going to win are still the ones that at the end of the day have the best flavor. Got it.
0: And speaking of of taste and flavor, I mean, this kind of leads me to the, the main project that you're working on right now. Can you tell us a little bit about what continuum physics is all about?
1: Sure um, you know I've been working on this one for a long time way before restaurants. this was sort of my main focus and what it basically is is an algorithm um, similar to to, to um, it kind of it, it kind of combines um, the physics of time in a, in a way that allows business people to make decisions uh, properly. I think a lot of the decisions that businessmen make are really, sort of in a vacuum and not really understanding the different quality and the component of time when you're building a brand. And it actually helps you create a real experience for your brand. And when you look at a great brand like an Apple um, or a Google, I mean, they have created uh, a great user experience. And I feel like they've done that through really tapping into these principles of, uh, that I deal with in the, in the physics.
0: Okay. So let's say I'm starting something new and I want to, you know, make use of this. I mean, can you give me an example of how this would might, this might work?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, first of all, you have to read it. So you have to go to the website, um, continuumphysics.com or confiz.com Um, and you, and you, uh, once you understand the basis of that, it's, it's not like you can, um, you can, it's not like you're applying, um, Uh, this to your business, you're really applying your business to this. So once you have the underlying uh, understanding of of how time and space work, you can take your business and you can look at it. You can say, okay, um, is this model um, creating the right experience? Is it, um, am I going about it the right way? Am I doing the right things in terms of affirmation and negation, which are the key components of the the physics, Um, basically just means what you're putting your efforts behind, right? So um, if you look at a great business, I think we would all agree, you know, the founders put their efforts behind the right things, right? And, and a bad business, it seems like they wasted a lot of time on stuff that didn't really matter. So this just helps you orient uh, your business towards spending all the crucial time on the things that actually matter towards the success of the brand.
0: Got it. And what do you think the the long-term goal is for, for this site? Because I know you're, you're not charging right now, right? Not charging, but I'm working on an app. And that
1: app will be a, a charged app that, um, allows you to, to use the, the, the physics in a, in an application form that will actually let you input different data points, um, for your business and help you make decisions in the right way.
0: Awesome. Super exciting. Yeah. I don't, I can't really think of anything out there that's like it. So excited to check it out.
1: Oh, and that's, you know, a lot of these, um, a lot of these guys like Peter Thiel and, you know, these big tech gurus, mm. they say, you know, create your own your own industry, right? Right. And don't compete with anyone. And that's, you know, I I've just heard about that recently, but yep. that's always been my mantra for 30 years is, you know, create your own industry and uh and you won't have competitors.
0: Got it. Cool, man. Um so yeah, typically, you know, my, my question is is when I ask people this question, it's you know, they just talk they say, you know, how do you acquire your first hundred customers? It's more like banging on doors. But in the restaurant industry, I mean how does that customer, you know, the, the first few customer acquisition fund? I mean, how does that typically look?
1: You know, restaurants are extremely tricky. There is a lot of competition naturally. So you need product differentiation I think is a good thing, right? So you got guys in LA serving uh, burgers on ramen, eat buns, you know, mm. that's differentiated. So by having a differentiated product, you get people in the door and you get your first hundred or a thousand or million customers that way. Um, when we started in 2009, there was no real gourmet burger restaurants anywhere. Like, we were one of the first. And, um, you know, there was Father's Office, which served a great gourmet burger, but it was a bar. and They had one burger. So we were the first ones to offer a menu of high-end gourmet burgers. And that's why everyone got noticed, took notice, and we got tons and tons and tons of press. We we're on every, in every magazine and newspaper, basically, in the world. And um,
0: and that's really, you know, free free PR. Got it. Okay, so the, the key here is to do something, just one unique thing almost, and then you're going to get yeah. picked up.
1: Yeah, do one unique thing. Instead of, instead of having the most unique restaurant concept in the world, have a normal restaurant that has one completely unique item that you can really get people excited about and that you do well and build your business from there and keep it focused.
0: Got it. Love it. Tell us about one big struggle you faced while growing Umami. Uh, um... Let's see. Well, I mean, the real the real struggle
1: has really been um, once you get to a certain scale, right? So I was running it, you know, up to we had, you know, we had five, six restaurants, and it just got like too. It, it was too much. It, there were too many restaurants for me to get around to all of them and do sort of the handmade sort of thing that I always did. So that's really the crucial point, I think, at any business is when you have to take it from when it's hit when it hits a scale where you can't do everything yourself anymore. And you kind of have to turn it over to some pros, and that was really a struggle to find the right people. And you have to go maybe you might have to go through three generations of people before you find the the right people. And um, getting the right CEO in place and the right team to operate the restaurant because at the end of the day, restaurants are about execution. That's the most important thing. And I would argue tech is the same way. I mean, if you don't execute out a great experience, it doesn't matter how good your product is.
0: Got it. No, I, I think you know when i mean when you have to operate a bunch of chains i mean it's it becomes harder to find you know the exact right you know the, the exact cultural fit right just because there's so many of them so is there any anything in specific that you guys do um in the restaurant industry to find you know th- this talent
1: you uh there's nothing you can do except hope that the talent comes to you by building a good brand and you get people that want to work there because you know, you could get people and they're just not going to be the right people. And you're going to be end up cycling through this sort of, you know, personnel. Um, but if you have a good brand, hopefully you attract the CEO and the operations teams that are very passionate about your brand itself and they come to you. So, but the first step is to build a great brand. The second step is to let people come to you and and hire them and work with them and give them, um, power to execute on their vision and your vision.
0: Got it. And I'm, I'm going to assume that, I mean, this is the same type of struggle you face while growing like 800 degrees or any, you know, any other restaurants that you've done, right?
1: Yeah, we've done them all the same model where we, we run them ourselves at the beginning. I mean, there are other people that start one and then they immediately franchise it or sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't do that. We still own our stuff. But I think down the road, we're going to investigate the franchise model and starting one and then having, you know, people run them themselves so that we can, you know, expand quicker. And ha- instead of having 25 umamis, I mean, some restaurants have a thousand because they did it, you know, in the, in the franchise model where, where people buy restaurants and, and license your intellectual property for that.
0: Great. You know, I, I was gonna center the, this next question around umami, but I, I think it makes sense to just broaden it just cause you've done so many restaurants. So, you know, can you tell us about just one time where any of your companies was on the brink of failure?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, all of them have been, I mean, you really start and, and you're, you starting one customer at a time and you never know if people are going to show up and people are fickle and you don't know if you're going to maintain. So when we first started Umami, I mean, the first two months were incredibly scary and we didn't think we were going to succeed and people weren't coming in. And then by month three, it, it had taken off. So, um, there's, I think there's a constant paranoia in the restaurant business of failure and you're only really they say you're only really as good as your last service you know your last shift so i think everyone's paranoid and everyone's thinking about failure more than success and i think the guys that are successful um are negating the con you know via the physics they're negating the concept of success right so negation is the uh the key to that
0: okay so I, I I was just going to say it seems like you had the the mightest touch, so I guess can you can you dive into the the negation portion more
1: sure, so you know there's there's affirming something which is putting your will behind it, there's negating it which are, which is the opposite is is putting not putting your will behind it, and I think everyone's like rah rah rah, go, go, go cheerleader for my business, this and that, and they're just affirming, 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 whereas I started in a negationary perspective where you start and you're, you're just thinking about, I mean, you're still doing the work, obviously, but your mindset isn't one of affirming your business. It's actually one of skepticism and one of, you know, uh, almost like a controlled pessimism, um, but still uh, fused with the action that it requires to do it. So um, cross negation and sort of affirming and negating together. So you're affirming the, the temporal side of your business, which is going to work every day, uh, doing what needs to be done. You know, working in the moment, dealing with people, dealing with customers, being present, but at the same time, um, you're negating the the overall essential value of your brand, your your brand concept, in order to create brand value. So you're you're seeing that as in a negational way, so that you can build the actual brand. And I think that's how how brands are built um, through that through that sort of mindset, that cross-negated mindset.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, you know. I- obviously the restaurant industry is really tough and you've made it work so many times. If you had one piece of advice to give to, to somebody starting out, what would it be?
1: Um, you know, I get asked for advice all the time and the only piece of advice I give is really just do it yourself. Like I did, you know, like don't take advice from people and don't, um, don't market it to death, you know, and don't, don't, um, you know, don't do too much research, just kind of go look inside and, and see what you want to do. And just go with that with, with what you're passionate about, because it's really hard. It, it's easy to overthink things. And it's easy to get too many people involved in a way that dilutes the overall purity of the brand.
0: Makes sense. So I mean, going back to the the, the minus touch portion, I mean, you, you know, you've made these things happen, right? So do you think it's, it's more of a more of the you know, you can almost say stubbornness to go through it and almost, you know, being a little scared at the same time that kind of kind of got you to where you are?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's been just following um, the, the guidelines of the physics to a T has gotten me where I am. I mean, that's the only thing that I do, and I just do it consistently, and it works. So, um, you know, it's all about finding out what works and doing that repeatedly, right? I mean... These serial entrepreneurs in tech that just have one hit after the next—I mean, they—they're pretty amazing to me because, uh, you know, talk about Midas Touch. It's like you think about these guys—they've started multiple, you know, billion or multi-million-dollar businesses. I mean, why do some people? How can some people do that, and other people can't even get a job for fifty grand a year? You know, they're—they're—they have the negationary mindset that is so important—the cross negation. That's so important to success.
0: That's insane. Yeah, that's the first time I've heard of that because most people, um, and and I actually totally agree with that because that's the the mindset I typically come from. But people keep telling me, Eric, you should stop being so skeptical, blah blah blah. You should be positive. And most people are like, Yeah, you know, that that's you know, you just have a positive mindset that it's going to happen. But nobody talks a little talks about skepticism that much as a as a motivator. So I think that's super interesting.
1: Yep. It's extremely important. Um, you look at these guys, I mean, you look at a guy like Peter Thiel, I mean, he's a billionaire, but he has his game face on, he's not sitting around smoking a cigar, you know, he's looking for the next thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's negation, that's negation of a and affirmation of D, which is it being in the moment, affirming time, you know, listening to pitches, starting businesses. That's the affirm. that's the affirmation side. But the, the side of the, um, spatial side of the equation needs to be complete skepticism. Like you're saying,
0: love it. So if you could turn it around, I mean, let's say you're 25 years, let's say you're 25 years old, you know, what would you go back around and, and change?
1: You know, nothing because you can't really have regrets. And, you know, I was just on that panel, you know, that you saw in, uh, downtown and it's really, they asked us that question and we just said, we all agreed that, you know, you, you could always say, I want to go back and change the failures, but those failures are what led to your success. So you really wouldn't want to change those. Um, I think everyone at 25 has to go through some failure, and I did as well, and I think that's important, and without that, you know, there's absolutely no um, chance for success, so I really wouldn't want to change anything in terms of the trajectory of my career, Um, and, you know, I knew at a very young age that I wanted to work on, uh, on this physics problem, so it really, you know, I've been working on it for 30 years, so I really wouldn't want to change that either, so... Um, I can't say I've done everything right from a optics perspective in terms that you know I look like you know Bill Gates or someone, but I think I've done everything right from my own sort of subjective um, goals.
0: Cool. So, would you say? I mean, you know, I, I think the medium that you chose, you know, you have this physics model, right? And the, it seems like the medium that you chose to go down initially is is restaurants. So, is there any plan to you know start targeting other areas like you know Elon Musk does PayPal, then he does like electric cars, and he does rockets. Mm hmm. I plan on doing,
1: um, restaurants, um, and tech. Those are the real, those are the two fields I'm going to be in. Cool. Those are the only fields that interest me. I love restaurants because I'm a good cook. I have good taste. Um, I'm also doing a TV show and a book based around my restaurant career. So that's sort of an adjunct business to it. Um, but my real focus is the tech world and, um, creating an application that utilizes the, um, the, the non-practical, uh, formulas of the physics.
0: Okay. So this next question is a little, it's, it's a little broad. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting that, you know, you bring up Peter to and you're, you know, you're involved with this, this, uh, this physics model and you know, you, you have these crazy restaurants too. So, you know, how does Adam go about learning new things? How do you find new things? Just how do you do it in general?
1: Uh, Keep your eyes open, live in the moment. That's the D part, the temporal part. So you go, you go around each day, you know, most people, if you look at them, they're going around each day with kind of like blinders on, right. And they're doing their particular jobs and they're not paying attention to the rest of the jobs. I kind of pay attention to everyone's job. Right. And that's how you learn things. Um, and once you learn about a new field, like say, uh, you hear about wine, the wine business and you have a great wine and it clicks once that, once that connection is made, then you go and you just research the hell out of it, right? Like there's endless amount. We're, we're living in the greatest age in the history of man because of the amount of research available online for free, right? I mean, you've been, a, you've been on Wikipedia, I'm sure. And there's a million other websites that you can go on to be an expert quicker than you could have ever been in human history. So I basically attack a field and learn everything I can about it from a million different sources, whether it's talking to people, going to places, going online, doing my own research, testing. Um, and that's really the way I learned uh, about all the different food, wine, cocktail world, which is the stuff I'm really interested in. Um, the science world I'm really not interested in because I'm, you know, I'm purporting my own physics. So I really don't want to hear about anybody else's theories or uh, things. So I am very extremely versed in the liberal arts, all of them, including art history, philosophy, which are the two that really went into this.
0: Great. So in a nutshell, be voracious about learning. Absolutely. Be voracious, but, but only be voracious about what you're
1: actually passionate about. You know, like I can honestly say I'm passionate about these culinary things. And if you don't, if you just are trying to make money or do something, move on, just go to whatever you're passionate about. I mean, if you're passionate about the graveyard business, you know, be passionate about whatever, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. What matters is how passionate you are about that field.
0: Love it. Okay. So how do you, how does Adam structure his day?
1: So I work out of my house, which is cool. Um, I'm on the computer all day long, answering emails, doing research, writing. A lot of my life is writing. Um, And then I do a lot of work on, you know, on dealing with my partners in the restaurants and things, but those are all sort of autonomously managed. I do a lot of advantage partners work where I, um, you know, are, are talking to new chefs, having meetings with new chefs and partners. Investigating new concepts, creating new concepts—it's uh, really a mixture of you know my writing world and and, and the advantage world at this point. Um, that's basically what I spend all my time doing. And then I'll go out at night and research you know new restaurants that opened most of the week.
0: Got it. Do you have any type of morning ritual that you stick to? I'm pretty
1: uh, I'm pretty OCD. I mean, everything is kind of in its place in my in my house. So. I wake up and do the same kind of ritual every day, not because uh, I'm forced to, just because I, it, it helps me organize my day. So I'll wake up and, you know, go online and do my, my emails and stuff, and then I'll start my day and, you know, have coffee and do things the same way generally every day so that I can get the most out of a day. And, and really I, I try to work very, very fast so that I can get a lot done.
0: Cool. Is it more, you know, work as fast as you can, you know, you'll make mistakes along the way. That's fine. And you can come back to it.
1: Yeah, work as fast as you can learn from your mistakes and um, definitely work on the things that need working on and, and manage your time wisely so that you're really working on things that are adding to the value of your business.
0: Cool. So let's say this hypothetically, this is a fun question. So if you, you know, let's say you're only allowed to choose one meal for the rest of your life, you can't have anything else, what would it be?
1: For me, it would be pizza. I think pizza is my favorite food. It just it's that combination of three simple things that add up to more than the sum of its parts. And it really gets me excited. So I would say wood burning Neapolitan pizza.
0: Okay. What's one productivity hack you can share with the audience?
1: Productivity hack. Oh God, I don't really know. I mean, I try to I try to spend very little time on the administrative side of things. So I know a lot of people, um, you know, outsource all their um, all their appointments and things and arrangements. But I, I try not to waste a lot of time with that. So I like to just schedule my appointments and do things myself, and and let assistants work on on other stuff that I feel is more valuable. So, um, keeping track of your own schedule, I think is, um, it's, it's really important to kind of tie the time. I mean, let's say you have 10 hours a day to work, right? You want to tie that all together into some, uh, package of, of usefulness and getting and moving the, the, the ball forward a little bit. So I feel like by controlling my own schedule rather than letting other people book things for me, um, it allows me to keep that, that focus in mind.
0: Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, having, um, assistance in the past book, if you, sometimes like, you know, you get these surprises out of nowhere, um, and you feel like a loss of control. So I, I agree with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, people are booking things and they may be legitimate things, but you also need to be in control of your time. Right. And if you're, if you're outsourcing the control of your time to the point where you're so busy, you're going to feel like you're losing productivity, I think over time and losing focus.
0: Right. Okay. Uh, Last question: What's or second to last question, actually? What's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone?
1: Uh, the must-read book would be my my physics book online. I mean, I can't imagine a more important book uh, that's ever been out there. I mean, um, not to you know, not to, <laughs> to no, 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 no. I, I hear you. <laughs> I mean, that's why I wrote it, right? Because right. I feel like I feel like it's the most important book that's been written. So um, I would say. Uh, if you want to, re- if you want to learn about reality, read that. If you want to read, uh, learn about life, read the, the works of Shakespeare, my favorite author. Um, those two would be extremely important for a, re- a well-rounded person.
0: Awesome. I think, I think what I'll have to do is read your book and then have you on for another interview sometime in the sure. future. We'd love to. Um, what's the best way for people to find you online?
1: Uh, Facebook or, um, um, just email directly.
0: Cool. Perfect, man. Adam, this is go to the
1: actually, I'm sorry. If you go to the continuum physics website, Mm -hmm. there's a form to get to ask questions and get in contact with us there.
0: Perfect. That sounds awesome. I think there's just so much more to dive into on the continuum physics side of things. Um, but Adam, thanks so much for doing this. Um, everyone make sure if you're in the LA area that you check out Umami Burger and 800 degrees. If not, you're missing out. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone. I just wanted to tell you about a big online event that I'm throwing on Tuesday, July 28th to August 2nd. It's called the Growth Summit and it includes some of the top minds in digital marketing and sales, such as Neil Patel, Heaton Shaw, Brian Balfour from HubSpot, Ollie Gardner from Unbounce, and much, much more. The amount of knowledge that is going to be dropped during this event is priceless. And here's the kicker it's free. And we're also giving away a free resource called 29 Growth Hacking Wins by Matan Griffel and Growth Everywhere. So go to growtheverywhere.com slash summit. Once again, that's growtheverywhere.com slash summit to register now to lock in your seat and prepare for an incredible event. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere.